Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written published article, Who Was at the Helm? 
from 1965. It's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage Show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump. Much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar, and you get a better buzz with, with the Savage Premium. So go to, go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. A violent smash and grab got on camera in San Francisco's Chinatown. Thieves rob a camera store attacking employees with hammers. We have new video of an armed robbery in San Francisco's Noe Valley neighborhood. It is just one of several similar incidents in the area in the past several weeks. Violent smash and grabs, including a recent confrontation between thieves and store owners, are putting the crime spotlight on the heart of San Francisco's Chinatown. All right, welcome to this new edition of the Michael Savage podcast. I've been talking over and over again about the crime waves in many liberal-run cities, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, and my hometown of San Francisco, which may be the worst out there. This once sparkling jewel of the West has become tarnished by the homeless bums, drug addicts, drug bazaars in the street, people crapping in the street, crime in the street, crime waves, smashing grabs, robbing what they want. Well, guess what? A recent article by a real investigative journalist, Leighton Woodhouse, exposed the fact that there's a criminal order beneath the chaos of San Francisco streets. And I interviewed him for this podcast. And you're not going to believe what you hear today. No, it's not just bums robbing because they need shaving cream or a razor. They're selling it. It's going up the chain to gangsters and criminals. And we have no idea how high up the chain it may go. We don't know if any politicians receive any of the vig that goes up the chain. But I wouldn't be surprised, would you? Hi, Leighton. Great article. Phenomenal. Thank you very much. I don't know how you did it in this city, to be honest. I mean, it's like real. It's real investigative journalism. I was stunned. Thank you. you No, I'm not just blowing smoke. It's it's like I don't see investigative journalism in a city that we all love. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether left, right, center, we can't live in a city like this. Yeah. Well, you know, the problem is the media as much as anything else, because um, these are the kinds of stories that you can't tell in the mainstream media anymore because it doesn't fit the narrative. So I, I don't know <laughs> what I, is the So Leighton, <laughs> what is the narrative? Tell me the narrative that they're all oppressed because society let them slip through the cracks. And if only we gave them more money, they'd be fine. Basically. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <Okay>. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, look, the, I mean, Obviously, the people who are addicted to drugs and are homeless are are certainly victims of something, right? They're not, you know. They're, they're, I have I have a great deal of compassion for them, um, but the question of accountability and the question of personal responsibility is completely just eliminated, um, according to those who would have you believe that this is the that this is the inevitable result of an unequal society. Um, that's not true. It's not about economic inequality. It's about drug addiction. Mm. problem well look anyone 
even people who will listen to this podcast in Sweden or wherever it's listened to and it's listened around the world. Everyone's heard about what's happened to San Francisco and, and to a certain extent, Leighton, it's overblown. I mean, I was in the city the other day and, you know, you can go to areas where there's no change whatsoever. It's still sunny and bright. As Henry Miller wrote, always merry and bright. It still looked like a merry and bright city to me in the Embarcadero. Of course, I turned the corner and went around the side of the Embarcadero walk and there were two junkies there and they looked pretty dangerous, but they were not harm harmful. And then when I walked back on the Embarcadero, the mobs of people, Father's Day, fun, blah, blah, blah. But I saw someone who was a Charles Manson. I saw he could strike out with a knife and stab someone any second. So yeah. they are around. This is the how do you fix this? It's like uh, I think I wrote this analogy one time that I, I agree with your with your um, perspective. It's is it, San Francisco feels like it's like there's two different movies being projected on the same. Screen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there is. <laughs> The, the sort of the beautiful city, idyllic city where um, where we you can continue to get five dollar um, pour over coffees and um, and you'll know, have a beautiful Sunday afternoon with your family. Um, but that is in and, and, and it used to be such that and it still is uh, to, somewhat the case that, like, for example, if you're in Coal Valley, you can have that idyllic uh, world without without any without being in any site of the addiction crisis. Mm. Um, and downtown is sort of where it's contained downtown and some other areas as well, but mostly in that air, that region of the city. Um, yes. but increasingly, it's becoming more like even in places like Coal Valley in, in the outlying neighborhoods, it's becoming such that you like you'll have that idyllic scene at a playground. But then in the background on a park bench will be somebody who's smoking meth. And it's like you just kind of pretend not to notice each other. Yes. You know what I mean? Right. It's two worlds then and both yeah. don't overlap. They coexist right. without noticing the other world. But, you know, you you've how long have you lived in the city? Can I ask that, Leighton? I actually live in Oakland. Um, I grew up in Berkeley, so I'm a Bay Area native and I did live in San Francisco for six years. Um, and I also lived in L.A. for 12 years. So I've been tracking sort of statewide what's been happening yeah. with, with crime and homelessness and drugs for, for quite a long time. I'm glad you brought up L.A. and we can certainly get into Chessa and we can get into I don't you know, there's a part of this picture. I want to just repeat from the beginning your article's title. Well, you write in your piece, the Tenderloin is home to two sprawling, overlapping transnational organized crime networks. That's what caught my attention, because when I see crime networks, I'm interested. And you write one centered on drugs and the other on theft, which thrive in that neighborhood because of the near total absence of the enforcement of laws. Right now. We know that those people going into the Walgreens and taking shopping carts full of goods out are doing it because they're not going to be arrested because they're doing it under nine hundred and fifty dollars or something like that. Correct. And then the part that people don't understand that your article elucidates rather clearly is they're not doing stuff with that. They're selling it at a yeah. buck a piece to some other network, which kicks it up. And it's like a business. Yes, that's so right. Who are these organized gangs? Are they are, are they? known they are known to law enforcement um so the, the i was surprised by this myself um you know i i i guess i assumed before going to this reporting that this stuff was being stolen in order to be resold as stolen merchandise but right. i didn't realize how 
specific it was. Um, for example, you know, one uh, law enforcement or one former prosecutor, actually current prosecutor, but former district prosecutor, um, told me that they go. Oh, I'm sorry. Actually, was a consultant for the retail employee uh, for the retail industry. Um, told me that they go in with basically a shopping list. I mean, not literally written down, but in their minds, they Amazing. have. They're like. They're like, they don't go in and just grab whatever's on the shelf. They're like, okay, I'm going to go down to aisle 12 and I'm going to get cold medicine. And then I'm going to go to aisle four and get razor blades. Um, because Why are razor cold. blades such a high, highly sought after item by the, the thieves? What, what's the razor blade story? You know, I don't know. They're expensive. So uh, there's oh. that. Um, but, but they but, are. Yeah. I went but, shopping for razor blades and I was stunned. It was like, a pack of the cheap throwaways, like $12 I saw the other day. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I can't say this based on my own reporting, but I would speculate that probably the cost of razor blades has something to do with the frequency which, which, with which they're shoplifted. Oh, well, um, we got to blame Putin for it. I'm sure he did. <laughs> but I say politics aside, this is not politics aside, because this came about as a result of politics, according to everyone who's observed it, meaning if you say to the criminal, you can rob up to $950 and we're not even going to arrest you. So good, he'll rob $949 worth of stuff and come back and do it again and right. again and again till the store goes out of business. Who passed that law, Leighton, that, that made, was, it, made it, let's say, desirable to go rob things? That was the voters of California. I mean, I, 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 I don't Jeez. recall specifically, but I think I voted for it. This is Prop 47. I think I did, too. Yeah, back in 2014, it sounded good, right? It was like, this is during the era of, of mass incarceration, you know, when we had way too many people in prison and doing, and you'd hear these stories about people doing, you know, 20 year stints for, right. some, for some, you know, for some petty crime, but it was like their third strike or something. Um, and then this was a, this was a, a, an initiative that promised to reduce the penalties for what seemed like non-serious crimes. Um, and, and so, you know, I voted for that. But, you know, my reporting has kind of led me to think more skeptically about some of these measures, because what I've come to realize is that, for example, when you have the ability, when law enforcement has the ability to be able to threaten somebody with a long prison sentence um, for a petty crime. Now, in some cases, you're going to have prosecutors who actually throw somebody in jail for a decade for some petty crime, which happens to be their third strike. But in right. many cases, what it is, is it's a tool for cops and for prosecutors to be able to um, force a change which they couldn't force otherwise. So if you're talking about somebody who's addicted to drugs, right. um, a prosecutor has a tool to be able to say, look, you shoplifted, this is your third strike or whatever, and we can put you, we can, you, we can throw you away for 15 to 20 years or say something even more serious like, uh, like uh, robbing somebody on the street. Or you can go to uh, drug treatment. Um, and it's that kind of if you're facing 10 to 15 years, um, that breaks through the fog of addiction. Um, you, you, you might actually and I've talked to recovered addicts who have said this is what really um, what 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 uh, finally liberated them from their addiction was they were forced to say, you know, OK, I'm going to go into treatment because I'm definitely not going to be able to do 10 to 15 years. If, you, if it's a oh. misdemeanor and you're like, look, three weeks or even three months in jail and you'll yeah. be out in your hardcore addict you'll do the three weeks you'll do the three months you know you'll be you'll get out and start using again that doesn't break through the fog and so uh, alleviate concerned this decriminalization while it sounds very good surficially it it it, it prevents the state from being able to intervene in the lives of people who desperately need intervention michael savage a host like no other.
Karen, crime spree in San Francisco, home invasion robbers targeting homes in several different neighborhoods all within a few hours. We have some eye-opening new numbers about San Francisco's car break-in epidemic. We have had, you know, more overdose deaths in one year than we did of COVID deaths in our city. You know, Leighton, I'm looking that you're a filmmaker as well. You're an investigative journalist for sure. But you also did The Naked Truth, a TV series. Is that yours? I did a couple of episodes for that TV series, which was on Fusion. Um, one was about uh, Trump voters. This is between the primary and the election in 2016. But I'm a Trump voter. Be careful. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. It wasn't a hit piece. <laughs> so you can't, I, fact, you can't overcategorize voters when they range in the 80 million number, you know. Oh, that, that's why that's why we chose uh, four different stories of people with vastly different backgrounds. And and uh, and we treated them fairly. This is between the, the primary and the general election in 2016. And and to be honest, um, I believe I think almost every single one of them were big fans of the documentary that came out of it. So that that speaks I, ha- to I have to see it. But again, how did you get this? I saw your article, if I'm not mistaken, in the Chronicle. Am I mistaken or SF Gate? Did they publish it? No, I don't believe so. They don't touch um, anything that's negative about the political structure in this city. Yeah, uh, Heather Knight has written a couple of good stories that I've been impressed by, um, and but those are kind of the exception. Um, uh, they, you know, I, I, I also, I don't know if you're aware, but I worked on Michael Schellenberger's campaign for for governor, and he's right here and has ex- exhaustively written about the tenderloin and and crime and drugs and homelessness across. Didn't the state. he publish a book called San Francisco? That's him. Yeah, he stole it from me. By the way, that's my phrase. <laughs> I'll tell him. I'll tell and him. I, that. You can tell him that I pissed <laughs> off because. I use it all through the 90s on my radio show. I call it San Francisco <laughs> over and over again. At least you can give credit where credit is due. Maybe it's but an like, homage. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't. Even, you know what? The beauty of being Lao Tzu is that when you when your words are stolen, they don't even know they're stealing it. Hey, you've made it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but it's OK. But late, it is San Francisco. And this is the heartbreak about it. When I moved here and got out 74. OK, mm-hmm. originally New York and uh, Honolulu for six years moved here. It was paradise for me. It was an open city. Everyone was free. You could do what the hell you wanted and nobody bothered you. Yeah. And that tolerance was beautiful. And how that led to this is the is not the question. I think it's almost an arc. Yeah. It's like a child that you raise. And I've raised two with a philosophy of. Um. Let them do as they will. Face a you know, the old uh, French thing. Yeah. Well, not every child's going to wind up doing the right thing. Sometimes the instincts are negative and you've got to control them. How would you control the drug epidemic today? Never mind tomorrow. What would if you had the power and you could speak to Governor Newsom, if that would matter? Mm -hmm. What would you say, Governor, you have to do the following to save the city, which I know you love? What would you suggest? Well, Speaking to Gavin Newsom, I doubt it would matter, make a difference because he's had plenty of chances to fix this, including as mayor of San Francisco. Um, uh-huh. One of the reasons why you know I, I joined Michael Schellenberger's campaign was to address this because Newsom wouldn't. And the solution that we pointed to, which I still believe in, this is hmm. Michael's um, solution, but I'm still a big advocate of it, is to create a statewide addiction care and mental health treatment agency called CalPsych, which centralized services across all 52 counties, and that has the power, and this is the most important thing of mandatory treatment so if you commit a crime mandatory treatment mandatory i heard the word treatment. mandatory 
Yes, and this isn't for people. It's not as if you know if you're if you're if you're uh, crazy, but you're not doing a crime and you're just out on the street. Nobody can round you up. You've got constitutional rights, and even if you're doing illegal drugs behind in the privacy of your own home, nobody's suggesting that you be arrested. But if you go out and you commit a crime, and crimes include shoplifting, but it also includes and obviously strong arm robbery and home invasions, but it also includes camping on, in public spaces, then you face a choice. You either go through the traditional criminal justice system we enforce our laws mm-hmm. or you go to cal psych where you get mandatory treatment addiction treatment and mental health but Layton, where would they treat them what kind of facility would be used to treat these people who are recalcitrant they don't want anyone telling them what to do they tell you i don't want to live in a homeless shelter i'd rather live in the street well that's not your right to live in the street they're my right. streets too that's what you're right. saying yes and 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 uh and of course they say that because that's the addiction speaking and and uh you know i've talked to this cal so we don't we, the answer to your question is that we don't have these facilities and so you know the, the our choice really is right now between mass incarceration and mass homelessness we've got jails and we've got the wow. streets and we've got nothing in between so cal psych was the proposal was to build these facilities and build them in far from the city centers these wouldn't be God, like you must have listened to my radio show without agreeing with me because for years i've been saying excuse me why don't we build treatment and care centers 100 miles out of city centers yes. and put people who can't be treated there to be treated uh, until they're well enough to go back to the city? But without law, you can't have order. And without civility, you can't have a civil society. And civil right. society has broken down not only in San Francisco, name the city, and I'll wonder if it hasn't. And I think it's all because of this idea that everyone has equal rights. Well, we do until we don't. Yeah. And my opinion is, well, when you start crapping in front of a restaurant window, which happened to me in North Beach, I never get I can't it's something you can't get out of your mind. I was sitting on Columbus in my friend's restaurant. I swear a guy pulled his pants down and just took a dump. I, I, I thank God he's out of business. The guy. Sicko. <laughs> no, I mean, it was I was nauseating. How does anyone get to that point as even an animal hides when he goes to relieve himself? An I mean, animal hides what how does a human get there in the bay area we seem to have this idea that people have the right to do whatever they want to including deficit defecating on a sidewalk or smoking (laughs) meth on a street and you know the question is it's always about competing rights because i mean i don't agree that you do have those rights but even if we pretended for a second that you had the, the right to do whatever you want to well guess what people also have the right to be able to walk their kids to school safely to be able to take their kids to the to the to the playground without stepping on needles and the people who are suffer the most from the open drug scene in San Francisco are the families that live in the tenderloin. And those are working class, poorer families. A lot of them are immigrant families from from countries like Yemen. A lot of these folks fled the war in Yemen to come here to find peace. And they ha- and they're the ones who have to walk. You know, in the Tenderloin, they have these um, these teams of parents who volunteer to basically ho- form human corridors to kind of walk kids to school and block their view. Amazing. From, from what, from Amazing. What they, on the sidewalk. They Hard used to, to have they used to have a thing. And I think they're bringing it back called the Yellow Brick Road, where they had a um, um, uh, yellow sort of uh, 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 markings that that pointed a path from from certain apartment buildings to the, to the schools, and then the cops would go to the dealers and they'd say, "Listen, 
between the hours, uh, between oh my uh, God. You know, hours going to school and returning from school, would you mind staying off the yellow brick road? Would you mind? I love exactly, it. Exactly. And generally the, the dealers complied and the users complied because they didn't want to, you know, why why even, it didn't make a big difference to them and why, why create a problem with the cops. But it really is like a situation in which the drug dealers and the drug users govern the city and you have to go in and ask the permission to stay off the places where the kids are walking to and from school and again these are poor kids from poor families from poor desperate families who live in the tenderloin and are good like law-abiding people the savage nation it's savage on demand we're visiting from Tampa, Florida, and we were told uh, it would be best not to rent a car because of uh, uh, there was a lot of break-ins. Like if they see a purse, something small, anything, they will break the window and grab it and go. Tonight, police say these intruders broke into a Bay Area home and pulled off a $100,000 heist. San Francisco is one of the richest cities in the world. But below its gleaming buildings, lies a humanitarian disaster. In December, Mayor London Breed called for a state of emergency in a notorious district called the Tenderloin. Again, your article is what I really wanted to steer the, the listeners to. First of all, what is the title of that article about the one that I found that I'm citing about the transnational organized uh, crime networks? I'm going to have to look up what they told <laughs> me. Give me, give me uh, a fast time. The criminal order beneath the chaos of San Francisco. Ah, and where is the number one place people can find it? The criminal order beneath the, the beneath the chaos of San Francisco's tenderloin, and they can find it on Real Clear Investigations, which is who I wrote it for. But I might as well also plug my Substack where they can also find it, which is Layton Woodhouse at uh, I'm sorry, LaytonWoodhouse.substack.com, where I, I do plenty of writing and I, I posted this as well. But, but the main place wait, I want to spell. They have to put your whole first name in, right? Yes, L E I G H T O N. You're not going to get that. The average person is going to say L E Y or yeah, Layton L A T E O N. So Layton Woodhouse, you're not related to the great poet Woodhouse, are you? I'm not. It's spelled differently. W. Okay. However, the Jane Austen character is spelled the same way as mine, Emma Woodhouse. So Layton, you're an intellectual, and I hate to use the word because it has a negative connotation, but obviously you are, and you're extremely bright. And you, you devoted yourself to social justice. I can see that, but in the most positive way, not in a knee-jerk way. You actually could and still can do anything you want, given your IQ. And I'm sitting here not in judgment, but in, 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 in accord with what you're trying to do. How did you wind up as a person writing such an article? Because in a way, you put yourself at great risk. You're exposing the criminal networks, aren't you? Yeah. And actually, to be honest, uh, you know, I, I, as I report in the article, these dealers live on International Boulevard in Oakland, which is about, uh, I don't know, six minute drive from my house. Um, so that made me a little bit nervous. But I, I, I but what, you know, what you, wait, wait, these wait, you just said something that's key to your article, overlapping transnational organized crime networks. And then you you talk about the bum in the street, pushing the cart, robbing stuff out of Walgreens. Then mm -hmm. you trace it all the way up to people in Oakland. Who is it in Oakland who's behind the whole thing? I don't say person wise group. 
Well, this, so the two overlapping transnational networks are, first of all, there's the Sinaloa drug cartel in Mexico, which supplies um, the drugs that come into the tenderloin. Um, the dealers um, are tend to be from Honduras, almost uniformly from Honduras. Um, they how, are, did, how did the Hondurans get into being the street dealers, the hondos, you call them? They, they basically work for the for the cartel. So the cartel smuggles them in. Um, they pay their expenses for smuggling them in. And then the, the dealers have to pay back the cartel about ten to fifteen thousand dollars for the for the for the trouble, which they can make in a couple of weeks. So it's not a big deal. Um, well, well, and, why did they focus on Honduran men as dealers is it because they have a certain toughness or it, it's actually a question that I want to get into. I don't know the answer to that question. I've been asked and, and I've kind of indexed it as something that I want to do some okay. further reporting on. Because I know what's talking about the, 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 the drug cartels There's plenty of tough Mexican guys, El Salvadorans. Yeah. Certainly Nicaraguans. Yeah. Uh, why? You know, why Hondurans? But that's that's a separate question. Mm -hmm. All right. So all the money flows to Oakland to what gang? So, well, it's it's uh, so these are it's the Sinaloa cartel. So I'm not aware of any um, gang like street gang that they belong to. They're just, you know, folk, basically entrepreneurs who come over from Honduras to work for the, the cartel to sell drugs on American streets for a few years and save up a lot of money and usually move back to Honduras. So that's the drug side. And then the the the, the larceny side is, um, you know, as, as you indicated earlier, um, the, the boosters, which is the shoplifters who go in and steal this stuff they sell it to fences and fences are street street level fences so these are very petty fences and so fences are people who deal with with um with uh stolen goods who mm. uh, trade in stolen goods um the street fences buy the buy the goods they're usually the ones so they're the, when i talked about the shopping list the street fences will text to the boosters what they're in the market for so today we're looking for tide pods and and we're also looking for i don't know cough syrup with a long expiration date is one of the examples i gave um and uh and so uh and so this, the the boosters go in and sell it to the street fences and then the street fences sell it to bigger fences so there's these more and more there's several layers of fences and they get more and more um organized and whole, sort of wholesale mm -hmm. scale which they trade and at the top level, we're talking about tens of millions of dollars. Um, we're talking about like there was a seizure that of twenty million dollars worth of merchandise that was seized in 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 one operation um, that was warehoused in Concord. But what you know all of this, and I I believe the governor knows all of this. I think the CHP set up a task force a year ago when they were breaking stores apart. Yep. And they put the governor $20 million, $30 million to, to solve it. What have they done since they created this task force on these smash and grabs, for example? Well, the problem is, um, and the smash and grab overlaps with this, but it's a little bit of its own thing. But, um, okay. but, but in terms in terms of the, the larceny and the fencing, uh, you know, I, a lot of this stopped when Chase Boudin was elected D.A., um, <sighs> Uh, you know, some of these, even under Gascon, um, one of them, uh, there was a major operation that was done under Gascon. Um, so so the, 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 the enforcement was there under Gascon. He did try to enforce the yeah, law. In, in fact, one of my main sources, one or one of the sources on this story that I wrote was the ADA under Gascon and, and did and was up on wiretaps on the phones of these dealers. And wow. And, setting up stings um what and, happened uh, well what happened to gascon is a whole other thing which has to do with the political climate but when chasa came in yes. you know he came in basically with a 
he 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 ran on 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 what he did, which was he wasn't going to prosecute these crimes anymore. Um, sort of was an, a defund the police, anti-establishment, son of super left wing radical terrorist. Right. Right? And right. he actually acted on exactly what he said he was going to do. And he got right. kicked out of office, which leads me as a side note. Who do you think Mayor Breed will appoint somebody even more liberal or will she wake up and put someone in there who will do something? No, it'll definitely not be somebody more liberal just because she knows which way ways the way the political winds are blowing. Uh, so I think it'll be. Well, somebody- how are they blowing back to the center? Yeah, I mean, look at the results of the recall of not just of, of Chesa, but also of the school board b- b- before him. You know, this is the things have gotten so crazy in San Francisco ah. that that normal San Francisco voters who are still very, very, very far left liberal Democrats are like, I know I've spoken to a number well, to a lot of them. They're, they're also just normal people who are trying to live normal lives. Right. Like, what the hell is happening to our city? Well, OK, it's not in my backyard. In other words, it was OK if it was over there in the Tenderloin. But when they start to do it in the mission and in some, every other some of that, some of that is some of it has to do with that. But also, you know, even if it's just in the Tenderloin, it's like if you live in San Francisco and there's an entire region of the city, which is basically in. a no go zone for you. That's bizarre. That is that is a that, that we've normalized it. But that is an unacceptable situation in which. You just wouldn't go. And I'm not talking about just the Tenderloin. I mean, south of market and all the way creeping into the financial district. It's just an area that you just don't go. I to. don't go down there. I used to go to the opera years ago. I'm talking. I used to go to the opera house once in a while. OK, I needed my dose of um, of, uh, you know, high culture. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even go in that area anymore. I can't. Yeah. It's, it's I, I used to go to a Chinese restaurant on Geary and 23rd Tonkiang, which went out of business during COVID. The best clay pot dishes in town, blah, blah, blah. Well, we were there before COVID and we left an older car that we own. We have other cars. We took an older car, left it literally in front of the restaurant on Geary. Yeah. And within one minute of going in the restaurant, they came out. Someone broke into your car. They smashed the window and took a rucksack out of the back. God. And that's I said to the owner. I said to the owner who I knew her very well. I said, is it the Chinese gangs doing it? You know, I'm very upfront with people because Mm -hmm. He said, no, no, not Chinese gangs. He says, these are black gangs. He said to me, I said, well, how do you know? He said, because they're here all the time. He said, one rides by in a bicycle, looks in, takes out a walkie talkie and tells him car with stuff. Two seconds later, window broken, stuff robbed. Yeah. So it's like, you know, mm-hmm. it's like Kristallnacht every night in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to make a bad analogy, but you can't park a car in that city. Yeah. What kind of civilization is this? Yeah. And I mean, look, tourists are afraid to come to the city now with 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 a good reason. And as Joel Angardio from Stop SF Crimes mentioned to me, and he's quoted in the article, it's like I just keep coming back to this, which is that if you as somebody who lives not in that area are afraid to walk through the Tenderloin, imagine what it's like to live there as a normal family. Um, And there are and there's the 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 Tenderloin has the highest proportion per capita of children of any district in san francisco that was once uh, well, i'm not talking in the 20s 30s 40s i wasn't here or alive at the time but okay so it was once people who worked for a living lived in a tenderloin yes i don't like the word working class because i'm still working class because i'm still working at my age <laughs> i grew up in an, i grew up in an immigrant family so i know what working class is no one complained about it that was your life yeah my father worked seven days a week rest of soul he didn't complain about it that's what he did but the point is there was a time 20 years ago when the Tenderloin was largely Vietnamese, great restaurants, et cetera. Right. Who was the dominant ethnic group? What is the dominant ethnic group in, in the Tenderloin today? 
There's a lot of Yemenis now, um, a lot of Yemeni refugees. Um, so I, I wouldn't call them dominant, but that's a that's a big contingency. There's still a lot of Vietnamese folks. Um, there's a, there's a there's Latino folks, of course, um, at San Francisco, um, and uh, and black and white folks. It's a very multicultural, very diverse neighborhood. If it weren't for the open drug scene there, I think it would be one of the most interesting. Um, lively neighborhoods in San Francisco. Um, it, it really has a lot going for it. Um, but and yet it, you, in your article, I hate to interrupt, Leighton, you point out that I'm sorry to say there is one one ethnic group that seems to be involved in the fencing, not all of them. Mm -hmm. You mean the 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 well, there, there's Latinos and Chinese. There's a lot of uh, 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 elderly Asian folks who do some of the purchasing. Is that what you were referring to? Or no, something? I thought that there was Viet there were Vietnamese gangs involved in the fencing. No, there are there are Vietnamese, as I mentioned in the article, there are um, a lot of these goods are shipped to Vietnam. So there's um, there's a broad. So th when I say transnational um, in terms of the um, the fencing operations, you know, a lot of this, these goods are sold to China and Vietnam where they're sold on black markets there. And then also luxury goods are, are sent to Russia um, here um, here in locally. Uh, what I was told is that the fences tend to be middle aged Latino men um uh, and or elderly chinese people um they're uh, they refer like there's these old chinese ladies called mamasans that are you know the street addicts refer to as mamasans who often buy they'll buy food stamps um they'll buy uh uh stolen goods and sell them in their chinatown shops wow. so um, so those those tend to be i think that my impression is that the, the sort of the old the old chinese people tend to be on the lower level of just like you know they buy the and any arrests the of these storekeepers who are reselling the goods yeah yeah and as a matter of fact that one under gascon that the operation focus lens that I, that i referred to that was um a, a, a i think a, a camera repair shop in somewhere around the tenderloin in china right. Those that they're selling the stuff out of. Um, so that so that's that would You're be making Gascon sound like a good <laughs> good DA. And the well, more I listen to you, why I, did he was he driven out of the city before he went and ruined LA? What happened to him? Um, well, first of all, I would say that Tom Osley, who is the ADA who worked under him, who is who who's quoted extensively in my piece, is a very good ADA. So and he worked under Gascon. So I will give him the credit. Um, but but he 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 does have a lot of respect for Gascon. He's told me about it. Um, you know, Gascon, I think, got caught up in this in this uh, in this sort of this. He saw the which way the political winds were blowing, which oh, at the time okay. was towards this sort of um, decarceration, um, criminal justice. Yeah, that was popular for a few months. Yeah, with Larry Krasner and Chesa and um, uh, Alvin Bragg and Kim Fox. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. I'm reading your article on this, and, and I want to go back, to, if you don't mind, and it was yeah. by Leighton Woodhouse, Why America is Losing the War on Drugs. Mm -hmm. Addicts can't be helped without coercion, which is very unique. Mm -hmm. You published this on March 4, 2022, on a site called Unheard, mm -hmm. which is, again, an interesting site. And I want to quote some of the, uh, some of your articles here. And you said, uh, blah, blah, blah. You talk about people passing out, dying in the street and uh, how I'm just trying to find some. Sorry, we'll, we'll cut this out. when We get to it. Sorry. You're saying following the spectacular failure of the war on drugs. The prevailing ideology in the addiction treatment world became harm reduction. Right. That, that's where it started. And it ended up with what we have now. 
And what you're arguing, I believe, and correct me if I'm getting it wrong, is that if you have no consequences to shooting up in the streets, you're going to become a bigger addict, not a smaller addict. That's absolutely words, there's right. a limit. There's a limit to freedom. There's no prosecutions anymore uh, for using drugs, let alone almost dealing drugs. And then you write drug addiction itself is coercive. Yes. Even an addict, the choice to continue to use or to voluntarily get clean is as illusory as pushing someone off a roof and giving them the choice to either fall or fly. Good line. <laughs> Thank and you. So that, I mean, it's funny and it's very tragic. Yeah. And, and what you're saying is the, the decision to get clean has to be as non-optional as an addict's, quote, choice to continue using. It has to be forced. Right. You're the only one from the other side of the political spectrum. And I don't know what side you're on, nor do I really want to make that the issue. You're the only one making sense here, yeah. which is how much more can we take? And unless there are consequences, there's going to be no change. And you're saying it doesn't have to mean jail. And you've come up with a new program, which is building treatment centers outside of cities, whatever that may be. Uh, and not criminalizing the people. That's a very expensive proposition, by the way. But yep. I'm sure people would vote for it. We're spending probably a few billion dollars a year in this city right now in direct and indirect ways on drug treatment, on homeless treatment, on homeless services. What if we took all that money and built some nice facilities 100 miles out of the city and you had to go there till you were clean? I mean, think of how much money we spend on the homeless industrial complex, which basically oh, just perpetuates the problem. It's awful. And how much money is being made off it? And, yeah. you know, it leads me to the question of corruption. I don't know if there are answers to this. I think they're too clever. And I've seen too many of your movies like The Godfather and every other movie ever made on crime. Mm -hmm. I'm sort of it's like one of my hobbies. How much of this money that go through these cartels and gangs gets kicked up top to the politicians running this city? I don't think anybody knows the answer to that question because, for example, you know, you can give you can bundle money and give it to politicians anonymously. There are ways in which I mean, I do know that like with with uh, with Boudin, there was a there was one bundle. There were a bunch of contributions that came in bundled from some address in Chicago, which oh, is boy. weird. Oh, like who in Chicago takes interest in a DA, a, oh an SFDA's race? And I'm not insinuating that that Boudin himself knows who's behind that. And and by the way, you know, it could be it could be, you know, completely innocent. Um, it could be completely legitimate yes. donations or it could be Soros or sources. But I'm not pulling his name out as like in scare quotes. He literally oh, wait, you just triggered me. Yeah. <laughs> he, but I mean, he literally is bankrolling a lot of these 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 DAs, including. Why does Soros do that? You did trigger me. And I have to ask you, you're a very bright guy. I've heard various theories on what he's doing it for. None of them make sense to me. Mm -hmm. Why would a refugee from the Holocaust come to a nation and try to undermine civility the way he does? I can't make sense of it either, to be honest, except that he is caught up in this ideology. And the ideology that I'm referring to is what you were talking about earlier about this sort of like devil may care kind of attitude that prevails in places like the Bay Area, which we call progressivism, but it's it's really more like left libertarianism, um, which has a long tradition in the Bay Area. You know, it, it was evident in the back to the land movement back in the 60s. Well, I love um, it. That's why I moved here. People yeah. did what the hell they wanted and didn't bother anybody. And back then when it was about smoking weed and doing that's right. It, it was about a lot of things. It was look, when I came to San Francisco, even North Beach with the strip clubs were fun. 
it was mm -hmm. like a kind of a fun thing in the city. No, it didn't go beyond that. Right. And there were some strip clubs here and there, but it was all kind of almost <laughs> looking back was wholesome fun. Yeah. You know, Carol Dota on the on a piano. What what's wrong with that? Then going up the street and having a lot of wine and spaghetti with your friends. Exactly. What a fun city. Look, if you're if it's about doing acid and having a drum circle in Golden Gate Park, that's what the, <laughs> when, when it's smoking meth and setting up a tent camp in the middle of downtown. That's a whole nother thing. That is not. You know, that's nothing to applaud. That is a, that is a sickness. These are desperate people. This is mass human suffering. And these people are going to die. You don't live long when you're I've heard this 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 saying among addicts, which is that there's no such thing as a long term fentanyl user. Um, in other words, you know, you don't even heroin. You find people who've been using heroin for 20, 30 years. Right. You can you can you can live doing heroin. Oh, I've, I look, I grew up in New York. I had two friends that went down that road. Yeah. One of them I knew was using and I Michael may rest in peace. He led a middle class life. And I said, Michael, why do you use heroin? Mm -hmm. And he, he, he had a, a weird sense of humor. He used to say, he said, I just so I can prove to people I can beat them in tennis while I'm high. <laughs> Michael always had jokes like that. He was a great guy. Oh, because he lived to 55, 60. The other guy, poor on, he died. You know, right. Rather young. Now, now, if my, now, if Michael were doing fentanyl, he wouldn't have no. lived more than five years. It's too addictive and too destructive to the body. Right. Yes. And so we're letting these people die. And so the, the, the people who argue with me, you know, reflexively use this argument that I'm the bad guy because I want people uh, because I, I, I think that people should be coerced into treatment. You're, you're whereas the they're the compassionate. Guy. Right. Whereas they're the compassionate ones because, you know, they want they want to just like give people clean needles and just let people li live and let live. <laughs> and I'm like, you're living and letting them, letting them die. They're like, if you want to save their lives. And I've heard this from recovering addicts from over and over and over again you have to intervene in their lives you so it, it is not compassionate to let people just rot away on the street and just and, and just die on our streets that is not compassion that was part one of this amazing interview with investigative journalist leighton woodhouse join us for part two coming soon right here on the michael savage podcast Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. Next up on this podcast, I want to play two of my appearances on Newsmax TV you may have missed that are on the same topic that I've been discussing just today. The first is from Prime News, and I talk about how the recent cop killings, the killings of police, the killings of police, the epidemic of the killings of police are directly tied to Soros back DAs. Who is this George Soros? Joining me now is the host of the Michael Savage Show podcast, Dr. Michael Savage. Michael, great to see you after a couple weeks. I wish that we had a happier story for you to talk about today, but you know, two cops are dead because Gascon let a felon walk the streets. Thanks for having me, Jen. Look, without law, there cannot be order. And Gascon, people don't understand this. They've forgotten. He destroyed San Francisco's DA office. He was thrown out of San Francisco and he had people behind him, Jen, who brought him to L.A. And he became the DA of Los Angeles with these nefarious, powerful billionaires in Los Angeles. How did Gascon go from destroying San Francisco's law and order to destroying L.A.'s law and order? Without law, there cannot be order. There is an epidemic of cop killings in this country because of bastards like him, and I'm sorry to use such a strong word, 
We can't take this anymore. And the bell of liberty, does anyone remember this? <laughs> the bell of liberty will be silenced if these left-wing fanatics funded by George Soros are not kicked out of office and put in prison themselves. There's something wrong with this picture, Jen. I want to know how a man who destroys a city like this great city that I live in, San Francisco, can get kicked out after destroying the SFPD, permitting lawlessness to run rampant in the streets, go to L.A. and get elected and do the same thing there and not wind up in prison. Never mind firing him. How does he get the job again? So you look at these two cops, these young guys. They go to a domestic violence call, which I've been told by police are the most dangerous of all police calls. And they are ambushed by this known gang member who has his gang allegiance tattooed on his face, released by progressive Los Angeles criminal district attorney George Gascone. And all we can do is recall him and he'll say whoops and go to work for some big corporation or go to work for some big law firm to do some more work for Black Lives Matter so they can keep bilking right. the public. Something's wrong here, Jen. Something's very wrong here. Well, Michael, I, I was really hoping with the recall in your city that perhaps we'd see a domino effect in other cities with these liberal DAs. I mean, what's it going to take? How many people are going to have to die uh, for us to see some change in this country for liberals to say, you know what, enough is enough? I don't have an answer for that. I don't understand how people don't put two and two together. If you're soft on crime, you're going to have more crime. If you're hard on criminals, you're going to have less crime. If you throw the book at these people, they can't kill again. If you let them out the next second, they will rape, murder, rob, and kill again. So what more can I say about it, Jen? What can you do when you see mobs like Black Lives Matter who burned 500, 500 incidents of Black Lives Matter? None of them are in prison. How many people from the January 16th event, that witch hunt, are still mm -hmm. in prison without habeas corpus. We have an upside down country under Joe Biden and the radical left. There's no question about it. Biden has said nothing about the dead cops, has he? Has he come out and said anything or is he too busy celebrating a perversity? Excuse me, diversity. Remember what I said when many years ago. When he's not in ago. Delaware, right. Yeah, without law, there cannot be order. And we need tougher district attorneys. We need longer sentences. We need more prisons, not less prisons. I know that sounds like, what? What are you saying? We need more prisons, not less prisons. And we need more, more people in prison, not more people on the streets. Again, I have to go and back Michael. to my little, yeah, bell of liberty will stop be ringing. It will be silenced right. unless guys like Gascone are not only chased out of town, but actually tried for the crimes they've committed against our cities. That's right. Well, let me, Why did they me get away you. with this and walk away? Jen, how did they just walk away from this? How? It makes no sense to me. And, you know, I, I, I wanted to talk to you, though, about San Francisco. We didn't get to you mentioned Jan 6. We had to cover that sham hearing uh, last Thursday night, so we didn't see you. But I wanted to ask you how you think things are going now with this recall. Your mayor, London Breed, uh, has to appoint uh, an interim DA. Do you feel like there is going to be meaningful change in your city? No. No, here's my here's my nightmare. London Breed herself is a product of the woke far left. The woman came out of the projects in the city, which unto itself should have educated her as to what crime actually is. So now she has the choice to put in a new D.A. 
do you think she will actually put someone in who's not like Boudin? She's liable to put someone in who's worse, but will be mm -hmm. untouchable because it won't be a white male. Listen to what I just said. Wait till you see what she does now that she has this power. She's not going to pick some, let's say, strong on crime DA. She's going to pick another Chesa Boudin who's liable to be a transgender person of color who everyone will be afraid to say one word to. That's what I feel. I'm, wait and Michael, see. Michael, I'm really curious to dig into this more with you, and I think it's going to have to wait until next week uh, or sometime thereafter. Michael, it's always a pleasure to have you on the program. Thank you. I, I, love you. I love your show, and I love the city I live in. I can't believe what's happened to it. They've destroyed this city. George Soros is the man behind it all, Jen. Indeed. Michael, Michael Savage, thank you. Michael Savage, a host like no other. The next piece is from Newsmax TV, and it was on the Saturday show, The Count. In this show, I talked about how a killer of cops, a gangbanger with tattoos on his head, a killer of two cops, is having a funeral that will be paid for by L.A. County taxpayers. Thank you very much, liberals. Now go to hell. Joining me now to discuss is National Radio Hall of Famer, the host of the Michael Savage podcast, Dr. Michael Savage. He's also the author of the book, Our Fight for America, The War Continues. Dr. Savage, great to see you as always. So we know that Boudin, a guy who you wanted gone as much as anybody else, he's out. Now, what about George Gascon? Will this recall be successful or is L.A. a little bit of a different animal here? Logan, thanks for having me. Um, look. There's only one answer to this. I watch your show. I see them flooding America with illegal aliens. You know most of them don't belong here. We know most of them are going to contribute nothing to the society. We know most of them are going to be leeches on this society. We see DAs who take the side of criminals. We see cops are killed in L.A. And we get the shocking story that Gascon passed a law. No one will believe this, Logan. L.A. County will pay for the cop killer's funerals. Did you know this? No one could believe this. The gangster, the cartel gangster who killed two cops last week, will have a funeral paid for by L.A. County because of this wonderful human being, George Gascon. Now, let me give you some background on this character. This guy was once the D.A. of San, of, uh, San Francisco. He was run out of this city on a rail because he destroyed the police department. Whatever he did to this city, he just did to L.A. Who is he? How does one man destroy one city and then go to another without going to jail? Nobody will look into that. Nobody will look into who is behind Gascon. And as I have said before, without law, there can be no order. These are lawless, criminal people. Why do we treat them with such dignity like they're some respected figure because they have the word D.A. behind their, their name? Who is he? Who put him in power? Now, if you start investigating who put him in power, that he can decimate a police department and cause such chaos and mayhem in San Francisco. And then instead of being put in prison, he goes to L.A. and with monies, no one knows who gave him the monies. Soros is part of it, but not all of it. Other forces in L.A., put him in to the DA's office in L.A., and all of a sudden, cop killings, follow-home robberies, beatings in Beverly Hills, beatings in restaurants, and to top it off, the cherry on the cake, 
We learned just yesterday that according to Gascon's own laws, George Gascon's directive makes L.A. County pay for the cop killer's funeral. I swear to you, I'm it's not unbelievable. making this up. It's Corporal just- Paredes is dead. Officer Joseph Santana is dead. Killed by this gangbanger. And now the people of the city are going to have to pay for the gangbanger's funeral. What will that do to the hearts of the dead officers? How much more can this country take of these left-wing scum? They are criminals. They're not equal to the rest of us. People won't look behind the picture. All they say is Soros funded them. That's not good enough. There's much more to this picture than meets the eye. It's criminal gangs putting them in office, in my opinion. Do I have proof to that effect? Of course not. I'm not an investigative reporter, but I've studied enough history to know something more is behind this picture than meets the eye. Look, just this week, you see these pictures you're running of these smash and grab robberies? These are organized gangs that are run. There's a great story on this, came out in San Francisco, great reporter. These are run by organized criminal gangs. And when they rob the stores, they don't use the stuff. They get a certain amount of money per item. Then it's fenced up the hill. And then it's sold. Yeah, and they money got a pawn shop. Off it. It's like a pawn business so we, that they're running. So you have to ask, does it go uphill? Does any of that money that's being stolen in the streets go up to congressmen and women? Excuse me. Does it go up to senators? It can't happen here. It happened in Mexico, didn't it? Until the people took to the streets and overthrew the cartel placed mayors and governors of various districts of uh, Mexico. Do I have to go any further? Because as far as I can tell, if I were writing a novel, that's what's happening in the United States of America. They have taken over the United States and that's who these DAs are. And that's my guess. Do I have proof? No. But remember this, Logan, when all else fails, people say, how do they do this? Why do they do this? Why do they flood America? Why do we spend billions of dollars on Ukraine when no one knows where Ukraine is? There's only one answer for all of this, Logan. Liberalism is a mental disorder. They are mentally disordered, whether it's the trans in sports pretending to be women so they can beat women. And we're supposed to say, oh, no, they're equal to women. They are not equal to women. These are men faking it, making believe they're women to beat women in sports. Common sense. Why? Liberalism. I wrote this book 20 years ago. Pardon me for seeing what was going on then. Definitely ahead of your time, Dr. Savage. I may look a little older, (laughs) but my brain is still younger. Now, I got to I'll mention one more quick crime thing before we get into our next segment. Now, um, a man who was going 100 miles per hour shooting at police was an illegal immigrant who was deported seven times. So, again, if you're a citizen, a lot of these people are getting out of jail 10, 40 times for violent offenses, seven deportations. This guy finds his way to Minnesota. But I want to talk about this scenario where a man drove his car into a Trump store. Uh, this, you know, is being called a crash. It seems like it was intentional. Barreled right through a Trump store. Uh, my question to you is, do you think this was a hate crime uh, or a who, politically motivated terrorist? Well, I don't know who was driving the car. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I saw the story, but who actually was the perpetrator of the of the well, here's the bumper stickers, Dr. Savage. These are the left wing bumper stickers. Uh, Donald Trump on the back, basically saying he commits atrocities. So it was clear that there was a political well, edge to this person. Isn't, isn't that an Antifa symbol on his tr- on a car? 
That, it looks like a double positive. anarchist symbol there. That's what it looks okay, like. Okay, so the anarchists are behind it. They're a criminal organization. Biden's friends are in the Antifa movement. So the answer is, look uphill, not downhill. It's all coming from above. Remember the old adage, a fish rots from the head down. And the fish that's running this country has a head that's rotted a long time ago, let alone today, fell off his bicycle, you hear? Well, we wish him a speedy recovery, but he doesn't belong on a bicycle. He belongs in a chair in an old age home with a blanket on himself before he does more damage to the world. So a fish rots from the head down, He's in cahoots with illegal aliens, drug smugglers, human smugglers, in cahoots with terrorists, in cahoots with psycho babblers, in cahoots with people who pretend to be men in order to beat men and pretend to be women to beat women. This is a sick, degenerate government. I don't have no other words for it. Make believe you're in a house with me. What would I say to you? <laughs> These people are mentally sick. Unfortunately, Logan, they're running the world. One last point. Ukraine. So we send all this equipment to Ukraine, allegedly, right? Now, as your last guest talked about, war is brewing with China. Are we going to have to go to Ukraine and buy them from Zelensky? Or do you think Zelensky will lend them back to us in a Lend-Lease pro program? I can guarantee you, knowing Zelensky and his pals, they'll charge us triple what we gave them for nothing in order to get howitzer shells back. And bunker fuel, how about bunker fuel, Logan, for our ships? Old Joe the Bicyclist is draining our strategic oil reserve. Does anyone even know what that is? It was established in 1911, if I remember correctly, by Teddy Roosevelt. So we would have bunker fuel to run our Navy. So now who's going to run our Navy? What, are going to run bicycle power on our aircraft carriers? Well, they're nuclear, thank God. But there are many ships that run on bunker fuel. So we're going to have to buy the fuel from who? Ukraine? No! We'll go to Russia and ask them to sell us oil to run our Navy so we can fight China. That would be Joe Biden at his best. Well, Dr. Savage, and to that point, we got to run. The Pentagon put out a <laughs> press release about how they can walk and chew gum at the same time. That might be the case to them. For a lot of us, we think that they're pretty one dimensional with the way things are going right now. Dr. Michael Savage, thank you so much for being here tonight. Answers all the questions. <laughs> He really was ahead of his time many times. Dr. Savage, great to see you as always. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free... Sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.